Hey, welcome to Hope City Church. So glad that we uh, get to be together. My name's Jason, and I'm the pastor here. And I just love uh, this season that our church is in. I love where we're at. I love uh, this service schedule. I love uh, the ability for us to be in different places at different times. And you know, our heart has always been just to, to share hope. Just even watching that last hope story, just reminded again of just you know, why we do what we do and what we're about and sharing hope. And so I love how we are able to, to be in more, more places and, and reaching more people. And that's, you know, that's our hope. Uh, we said at the beginning of the service, our, our MC said, you know, we just want to share as much hope as possible to as many people as possible. And so thank you. Just thank you for being a part of this, for being a part of our family And uh, I love each and every week, or most weeks, I guess, getting a chance to stand up here and to to talk to you, talk to everyone who's watching this. So just excited uh, that we get to be together. And uh, I do want to just say this quickly before we move on, that um, next week I'm very excited to have one of my closest friends and uh, one of the best preachers and speakers that I know, uh, Pastor Micah Pelkey from... Storyside Church, uh, the people who are making the woo noise uh, have been here. He's been with us a couple of times, and he's always one of the most favorite guest speakers that we have. And so he's going to be with us at all of our services, all of our locations uh, next week. So don't miss that. Uh, Pastor Micah is is amazing, so I, I can't wait for you to to hear him, all right? Now, I want to start the, the sermon today by asking you a question. We're going to start with this question. Here's the question. If you knew that, that today was the last day of your life, that tomorrow your life was going to end, you knew that, that today, that, that tonight was going to be the last day, the last night of your life, what would you do? How would you spend the last night of your life? I want you to think about that, and we're going to come back to that question at the very end of the message, but I want you, I want you to, uh, to think about it. Um, we've reached part three of this series that we're in called Dramatic, where we're trying to figure out how to have joy or how to keep joy in a world that's gone mad. And we've said each week, it just feels as if people are more angry than ever before, People are, like, there's always something to be mad about. There's always something to post about. You know, everybody's boss is a jerk. Everybody works with idiots. Uh, Our kid's coach doesn't play them enough. Uh, Our our, our friends aren't supportive enough. Our spouse doesn't love us enough. And there's just always something to be upset about. And we always know where to go to find upset people, mad people, angry people, and so what we've been kind of dancing around in this series is, is, is the idea that it's possible that even though we say we don't like drama, even though we say we don't want drama, even though we say we're sick of the drama, it's possible that we have become addicted to drama. It's possible that peace is just too boring. It's possible that conflict gives us an adrenaline rush that makes us feel alive like peace doesn't do anymore in our lives. That we've kind of become addicted to, you know, he said, she said, he did, she did, have you heard, did you know, have you seen, 
And there's something about the drama, the conflict, the stories, the gossip, the news that makes us, makes us feel alive. And so how can we separate ourselves from that? How can we have joy, find joy, keep joy in a world that is seemingly set up to involve us in drama, conflict, other people's drama and, and conflict. And our guide throughout this series together has been the Apostle Paul, not a bad guide to have. He, he wrote many of the New Testament books and letters, but the one we're focusing on is the book of Philippians. Uh, it's one of his, what we would call epistles, and they actually call it one of the prison epistles because he wrote four letters from jail. Philippians is the last of those. And he was going through a little bit of drama himself. He was surrounded by a little bit of drama. He was arrested, under house arrest, two years. Wasn't sure if he was going to die. He's getting letters from people, giving him updates about what's happening in other churches. And he's trying to, to, to help with that. And so we've just kind of been reading through the book of Philippians together because Paul and Philippians is, is teaching us how we can have that joy and find that joy. And so the, the first week we talked about how to stop feeling sorry for yourself. We talked about pity parties and how great we are at throwing pity parties. But what we learned is that the more we think about ourselves, usually the worse we feel about ourselves. And what we said is that I find joy when I feel more grateful for you than when I feel sorry for me. That was, uh, that was the first week. And then, and then last week, we, um, we talked about dealing with difficult people. And we admitted that we all know some difficult people. We even admitted that maybe we're difficult people. Some of us were honest enough to do that. And what we said is that, that my joy is my responsibility. My joy is my responsibility. And it can't be taken from me. I have to choose to give it away. So what's happening around me cannot take what's happening in me unless I choose. So if there's a situation or a circumstance or a person who steals my joy, the only reason that my joy is gone is because I handed them the keys and I allowed them to take it. So it's been pretty interesting so far. And we're going to continue with that, and we're moving into chapter 2 of Philippians. There's a Bible uh, either in your seat or underneath the seat in front of you. You can, you can grab that. But as we move into Philippians chapter 2, Paul is going to shift the focus from him. He's kind of been talking about him, giving us updates about himself uh, and what's going on. I've been using that, but he's going to kind of shift the focus from him to, to us. And he wants the people who are reading this letter to... To kind of take inventory of themselves, and this is really important because as we talk about drama and conflict and difficult people and circumstances, um, it would be crazy for us not to stop and ask ourselves this question, am I the problem? Because we, we've talked about, you know, we've talked about difficult people and we've talked about people who do us wrong, but but. Now we want to kind of shift the focus a little bit, take a little inventory, and ask the question, am I the problem? Am I the problem? It's, it would be easy to assume that uh, it's always those people. You know, you, know, you know what I mean? Why don't you go ahead, right, just, just turn to the person you aside and just tell them, say, listen up, listen up. He's talking to you tonight. Go ahead and tell him. He's talking to you. He's not talking to me, but just tell him. He's talking to you. So... It's always those people who are crazy. As a pastor, I get the opportunity to talk to a lot of people going through a lot of bad situations. Can I just be honest with you? I've never once in all the years that I've been pastoring had someone come to me 
and say, you know what, I'm divorced, but it was all my fault. They're amazing. I'm, I was the wrong one. Never, never. The ex-spouse is always psycho, always crazy, always ridiculous. Very rarely does somebody came, come to me and say, yeah, I lost my job, but it was my fault. My boss was amazing. I worked with great people. I made good money. It was a great environment. I was the idiot. Very, very rarely do they ever say that. Every former boss is a jerk. Every former spouse is crazy. Every former coach is stupid. But never us, always them. And we never stop and consider, maybe the reason I can't get away from drama is because I take me everywhere I go. I'm always going with me where I go, and I'm always in the middle of drama in some way. It reminds me of a, of a psychiatrist who was uh, doing rounds uh, at a local hospital, and, and he went into to one of the rooms where two of his patients were, and he walked into the room, and, and the first patient was sitting down on the ground pretending uh, that he was like sawing wood. And, and then the second patient was upside down. He was hanging from the, from the roof by his feet, uh, from the ceiling by his, his feet. And so he looked at the first patient and he said, what are you doing? And the patient said, duh, I, can't you see I'm sawing this board in half? And he looked at the other guy and he said, well, what's he doing? And he said, oh, well, that's my friend. You'll have to excuse him. He's kind of crazy. He thinks he's a light bulb. And... So the, 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 the psychiatrist, he looked at the second guy and saw, like, his face was getting really red, like blood was kind of going to his head. And so he looked at the first guy and said, hey, if he's your friend, you may want to tell him to, to get down because he's going to hurt himself. And the first patient looked at the psychiatrist and said, you want me to work in the dark? That's all I got. I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I spent a lot of time on that this week. I don't know. How many people know sometimes we're just as crazy as they are, right? Sometimes we're just as crazy as they are. Some of you are just getting it. We'll give you a second. So today, uh, as we read, instead of thinking about someone else, I, look, I want us to look inward. I want us to challenge ourselves with this question. Am I the drama? I want to challenge you, and I want us to challenge ourselves with this question. Is my attitude the problem? Is my attitude the problem? I don't know if you figured this out yet or not, but you can't change people. If you have a dramatic situation happening in your life, especially if it's with a person, the quicker you realize that you can't change them, the better it's going to be for you. And in this section of Philippians that we're reading today, Paul is trying to encourage people to get along with everybody, and he's going to give some great advice, and we and you would be really smart to take this advice. Paul's going to remind us, I can't change you, but I can change my attitude. I can't change you, but I can change my attitude. So let's start reading Philippians Chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse 1. Now, um, the, the second, the, the part we're going to read tonight, the second chapter of Philippians, it, it's broken up in three parts. We're going to kind of read this and stop a couple different times because it's broken up in three parts. And the first part happens in the very first verse. We're just going to read this first verse together. And it's, it's um, the way we're going to read it, it's a, it's a couple of different sentences. But the way it was originally written, it was just one massive run-on sentence 
uh, written in a little bit of poetic, rhetorical form. And this is what it says. Just the very first verse. We'll read it together. It says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? So let's, let's stop there a second. Paul starts, he's going somewhere that's going to be very challenging. And what he's going to say is, feel, is going to feel incredibly difficult, somewhat impossible. And so he, he wants to start by giving us a checklist of sorts to check our heart. And he, and he gives us four questions, four ways that we can kind of take inventory of our heart. He, he asks us four things. Is there any encouragement from Christ? Is there any comfort in his love? Is there any fellowship with the Spirit in our hearts tender and compassionate? What does that mean? Well, he's talking to people who believe in Jesus. He's not talking to people who don't believe in Jesus. He's talking to followers of Jesus. And he wants them to take inventory, and the Bible says this in several places. He wants people who claim to be saved to make sure that they're saved. And he doesn't ask them to make sure they're saved by saying, have you said any cuss words lately? Have you been to any bad movies? Have you smoked any weed? Like, he's not, he's not asking them about their behavior. He wants to know about their connection with God. So he asks them, is there any encouragement in Christ? What does that mean? What it means is, for people who believe in Jesus, he wants to know, when life is very discouraging, do you ever think about the fact that you have Jesus and it encourages you? Like, man, life's awful today, but oh, wait a second, I've got Jesus. Like, I'm, not only do I have Jesus because he's with me, but like, I'm saved. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He gave me a way to know God. Life's terrible, yeah, but, but Jesus gave me a way to know God. Are you ever encouraged because you think about the fact of Jesus? Because people who are saved, people who believe in Jesus, should be encouraged by the fact that they have Jesus. If you're never thinking about Jesus, it could be possible you haven't met him. So he just wants to know, like, for people who claim to know Jesus, are you ever really discouraged? And then all of a sudden you remember, <laughs> I have Jesus, and I'm encouraged. But then the second thing he says is, are you ever comforted? Is there comfort? Are, there, are you comforted by his love? Have you ever gotten home from work, gone straight in your room, taken off your work clothes, and put on your favorite sweatpants and a hoodie, and just felt as if everything's right with the world? Yeah? Andrea has this shirt that she's had since we got married at 15 years ago, and it's hanging on, and it's all good. Till death do us part is me, her, and the shirt. And... But it's just her safe place. She just, it's what she does. And, and it's just comfortable. You ever, you, you just got something you know, if I could, I just want to put this on because it's just so comfortable. Paul says, that's how the love of God should feel. That you don't have to work for it. It's, it's not stuffy. It's not uptight. It's not choking you. It's not, it's when you think about the fact that God loves me. I'm accepted by God. Like, I, I am just kind of resting and comfortable in the love of God. Paul says to people who believe in Jesus, you ever feel that way? You ever feel like, man, God loves me and accepts me and just rest in that, comfort in that? So are you ever encouraged by the fact that you have Jesus? Are you ever comfortable 
in the love of God. Then he says, is there any fellowship with God's spirit? And what he means by that is, as you go throughout your day, do you feel a connection? Do you feel this like really close fellowship, this relationship with, with the Holy Spirit? That he's challenging you, prompting you, nudging you, convicting you, speaking to you. That, that you, you say like, I don't, it's not just a Sunday church thing. It's not just a religious affiliation. It's like, no, I, I, am, I am interacting and fellowshipping would be the Bible word there. But like there is a connection, a, a day-to-day connection with God's spirit. Because Paul says, if you believe in Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, there is a exchange day-to-day, minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour exchange with God's spirit. And then he gives us one more. Jesus, the fact that you have Jesus should encourage you. The fact that God loves you should give you comfort. The fact that God's spirit is interacting with you, should, like you should feel that. And then he says, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Does your heart, is it softer? Is it more compassionate? Do you look at people differently? Do you talk to people differently? Do you feel things differently? It, for those of us in the room who've had children, like you know what it feels like when you... you like, I can just speak for me, but, like, having a child softened me up a little bit. Some of you are like, really? Like, yeah, you should have seen me before no kids. Like, it's bad, right? And so, like, meeting Jesus. And, I, and I've read this to you before, but I want to just read this to you again. It's not on your, it's not on your sermon guide, uh, but it's in the book of Ezekiel, and I didn't mark it. So let me see if I can find it here. See, i got to look up the table of contents, too. It's Ezekiel 36, 26, and we've read it, uh, we've read it a good bit in here, but, but I love it because it's a, it's a description of what happens to us when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. And, and if you want to, you can actually back up to verse 25, Ezekiel 36, starting 25. He says, then I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. Your filth will be washed away. You'll no longer worship idols. That happens. We're forgiven. We're clean. But it doesn't stop there. 26 and I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you, and I'll take out that stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. In other words, when you meet Jesus, you don't just become a better person. You become a brand-new person. When you commit your life to Jesus Christ, he takes out that old heart, and he puts in this new heart that is just different. Just feels different, notices different things, talks to different people differently. And I don't want to rush past this because for all of us who claim to be a Christian, there are times when we need to step back and just kind of assess where we are in our relationship with God. I'm not talking about grading yourself. I'm not talking about having to report into somebody you know, like a Christian parole officer, like where you been and have you been going to church? And I'm talking about between you and God. We just step back and go, you know, when's the last time I really felt encouraged by the fact that Jesus gave me life? When's the last time that I realized and remembered again that I'm loved by God based on absolutely nothing that I do? My, my behavior never changes the way God feels about me. When's the last time the love of God made me feel like I was wearing my favorite sweatpants and hoodie, like I'm just resting in it? When's the last time I felt this really close connection and, re- and relationship with God's Spirit active in my life on a normal basis? How tender and responsive is my heart 
How tender and responsive is, is my heart? And our goal at Hope City Church is to, is to share real hope so people can experience real life. But, but hope is not just enjoying church or feeling better about your life. We love that. We pray that. We want you to come in here and immediately feel better about your life. But real hope comes from committing your life to Jesus, giving your life to Jesus, accepting the grace of God, and handing over your life. Not just your marriage getting better because you come to church together. Not just getting chills during worship because I love it when they sing that song. Not just because you cry. Those are all beautiful things that we pray for and hope that you experience. But we want you to meet Jesus. We want you to meet Jesus. And the way you know you've met Jesus is that when nothing else in your life is going right, you feel encouraged, comforted, close to God and your heart is evolving and changing. And it's one of my favorite things about so many of you men, if I could just pick on the men for just a second. I love watching you come in here and you're like, yeah, I'm just here because my wife wanted me to come, but I'm, just don't bother me. I'm just kind of just here, but I'm, we're leaving as soon as possible. And then like a couple of weeks later, it's like, you're not digging it, but the arms are down by the side, you know? And then eventually, three months, six months, just heads up. If you're not there yet, it's coming. So if you're going to go, you better get out fast. But it's, and the next thing you know, like you're getting baptized, you're crying, just talking about. What could make a man who's hard, just, just stubborn and just hard and stony, what, what could make that man weep like a baby? Talk about Jesus. A brand new heart. A brand new heart. And that's different than life getting better. That's different than the home changing. That's different than goosebumps and tears. It's meeting Jesus. Meeting Jesus. Now, the reason we took all that time to do that is because what we're about to read is impossible without Jesus. So if you don't have Jesus, what I'm about to read to you, you're going to go, okay, well, if I try really hard, and I, you know, and, I, and I do my best, and I'm on my best behavior, and like I'm just really just like disciplined, I think I can accomplish it. That's not what Paul is trying to say to us. Paul is saying to us that out of that heart that's brand new, that tender, compassionate heart that feels encouraged, comforted, and close to the Holy Spirit, out of that is going to come something different your relationship with people. In essence, he would say like this, that the longer you serve God, the more you should want to serve people. That's what, he's, that's what he's going to tell us. And the way that we are supposed to love and serve people takes a new heart. And if you don't have Jesus, you don't have the new heart. So let's keep reading. So we just read verse one. Let's pick up uh, verse two. This is what he says. He says, um, so all the four checklists we read, he said, it, like, check, 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 check. Okay, then make me truly happy 
by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. I think it's so interesting that a man who's been in prison two years doesn't say what would really make me happy is getting out of here. He says what would really make me happy, what would really give me joy is seeing you get along, unified, no drama, just like that would really make me happy. And then he says, verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Paul giving us this attitude check, checking ourselves, inventory on us, gives us three things not to do in our relationships. Number one, don't be selfish. Great advice. Anybody know anybody selfish? Let me see your hand. Anybody? Okay, all right. Maybe it's all of us. All right. Uh, he says, don't live for people's approval. Don't do that. Don't be selfish. Don't live for people's approval. He gives us another one. Don't always fight for what you want. Don't be selfish. Don't live for people's approval. Don't always fight for what you want. I'd be willing to bet that if you traced back any dramatic circumstance, place, or relationship in your life, you're going to find those three qualities right there. Selfishness, people who are living for other people's approval, and people who always fight for their way and what they want. That's where you're going to find it. But then he gives us two things we should do in our relationships. He says, be humble and be interested in other people. Be humble and be interested in other, other people. And we all struggle with humility, putting others first. And I think... As much as I love social media and I love technology and I'm a, I'm a tech guy, I'm a computer guy, I love the ability to be connected, I think, I think it's, it, it's, it's made us inc- much more insecure and much more prideful at the same time. I'm doing awful and I'm still doing better than you is, is the way that we kind of go, go about that. And... um. And so there is this, this challenge, because we compare up and we compare down. And, and when we compare up, we feel awful about ourselves. And when we compare down, we feel proud about ourselves. But, but anywhere you've got pride, you're going to have drama. Anywhere you have pride, you're going to have drama. More pride, more problems. More pride, more drama. If I think I'm the better spouse... I can promise you there's going to be drama in your marriage. If I think I'm the better, the best employee, I can promise you there's going to be drama at your job. If I think my kid's the best player on the team, I can promise you there's going to be drama with the coach, with the parents. If I am sure I'm right, then I think everybody else is stupid if they don't agree with me. The more pride I have, the more drama there's going to be in my life. Because when there's pride, I'm not interested in others. I'm not interested in others' point of view. I'm not interested in what they want. I'm interested in what I want. I fight for what I want. I fight for approval. I fight for recognition. And it's, it's, it's almost impossible. It is impossible for prideful people, and by prideful people, I mean us, to, to really be servants. Because we keep scores, so we can't keep it up for that long. I always get a kick out of, like, talking to husbands who uh, have just been jerks for, like, 10 years. And so they're trying to make the, like, they're trying to make the marriage work. So, like, man, what can I do? And, 
you know, hey, man, do this, do this, do this, do this. They come back like two weeks later like, man, I've been killing it for two weeks and nothing's changed, man. I mean, like, I, I've done the dishes, I've cleaned the house, I'm like telling her she's pretty, you know, I mean, I'm, I mean, she's not giving me nothing, man. I mean, nothing's even moving. It's like, okay, well, first of all, you're still keeping score. And second of all, you were a jerk for 10 years, all right? Let's give it, you know, more than two weeks. But when you're proud, you can't serve because you keep keeping score and you're losing. And you can't take it because you're trying to win. So what do we do? What do we do? All right? What do we do? Well, he, he tells us in verse 5, he says, you must have the same attitude, there's that word, that Christ Jesus had. And he's going to describe to us that attitude. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. What does that mean? It means that Jesus was the only person to ever live who could literally claim to be better than everybody else. He could play the, the God card. As I was reading this, I was thinking about, you know, we, we've got four kids at the house and been pregnant several times. Or, well, she's been pregnant. I haven't been pregnant several times, but we've been pregnant. And, and, and you, maybe you're familiar with this, but like, you know, when you're pregnant, you get to play the I'm pregnant card. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You get to play the Three in the morning, I want pickles. We don't have any pickles, but I'm pregnant. And then you go get in the car, you go get the pickles, right? You play the pregnant card. And as long as you're pregnant, you get what you want because you get to play the pregnant card, right? Well, in a way, God, Jesus could have shown up and at all times played the I'm God card. Give me what I want. I'm God. Do what I say. I'm God. Don't do that anymore. I'm God. But he showed up and he never played the God card. He left heaven. He traded in his privileges. He turned in his employee badge. He, he gave up heaven. And he said, I'm going to walk away from this. And I'm going to go down there. And I am going to put myself under, beneath them, even though I'm greater than them. Because I value them and love them so much. I'm going to serve them to literal death. That's how much I'm going to give up my rights and my privileges and the God card so that I can die for them. And Paul says, yeah, 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 that attitude, that's what I want you to have. That, that, that's what I want you to have. I want you to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And we say, but, but Jason, if I, you know, if I, if I went into my job and, like, I really was, like, humble and, like, a servant, like, they would take total advantage of me. And Paul's like, yeah, like a, like a cross, <laughs> I mean, if I served, like, people would just take and take and take and take and take. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Like grace, mercy, and love. He said, I want you to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Now, if you are hearing that and you're like, well, great, I could never do that. If you skip down to verse 13, 
Philippians 2.13. It says, for God is working in you. Those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus Christ, it says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now, this is great because this means that you can't manufacture this. Okay, I got to be more of a servant. All right, what am I going to do here? I need to be more humble. Okay, all right, um, uh, be more humble, be more humble. Like, you can't manufacture this. It's the Spirit of God. And the good news about verse 13 is that when we hear these words, when we read these words, the Bible is this living, active book. We read these words and we say, well, I want that, but I don't know how to do that. The Bible tells us that God is working on the inside of us. And that new heart he put in there, it's got these antennas that are sensitive to God. And he's working. And the next thing we know, our desires are changing. It's like I used to be way more selfish. Well, when did you stop being so selfish? I'm not entirely sure. I'm just not as selfish anymore. When did you start taking such an interest in other people? I'm not entirely sure. I just am more interested in other people. Because God is working on the inside of us, those of us who find encouragement from his love, or encouragement from Jesus and comfort from his love and, and, and fellowship with his spirit and those hearts are tender compassion. He's working in us, stripping away pride and helping us to have the same attitude as Christ. So what I want to, uh, to do just for the last few moments that we have left is I want to try to... I, all week I've been just really kind of struggling with this message because I wanted to try to be as practical as I could. Like, okay, well, what do I do? You know, like how, how, can, I, how can I do something with this? And maybe even as I've been talking, you have been thinking like, this sounds great, but you don't know my situation. This is idealistic. This is, this is, never, going, this is never going to work. I want to read one more verse to you. I think it's on your sermon guide there. It's Romans 12, verse 18. Just one verse. Same guy wrote this, who wrote Philippians, Apostle Paul, our tour guide to joy. In verse 18, he says, talking to me and you, he says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about your boss. I'm not talking about your in-laws. I'm not talking about your ex. I'm not talking about your neighbors. I'm I'm talking to you. Here's what I want you to do. Everything you can do. Do everything you can do. Now, what, what I love about this verse is that no matter what you do, some people just don't want peace. So you 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 cannot fix every relationship. You cannot change every person. But if you hear these words and you say like, well, yeah, I mean, I can't change anybody. I don't think that's true either. I think, I think if you begin to change your attitude, I think what you'll find is that relationships will start changing. Because I can't change you, but I can change my attitude. And when I change my attitude and God keeps working in me, relationships begin to change. And so if you have that, that sermon, God, I want you to write these three things in. 
take this with you or put it in your phone or hang it on your fridge or some way where you can see this. Three just practical things that you can do. What, okay, help me here, Jason. I want to. Three ways I can change my attitude about you. So I want you to think about the people in your life that are difficult. I want you to think about the people in your life that are causing you drama, the people in your life that are just always just, you know, making stuff up and happen and conflict. We're not talking about them. We're talking about you, but you're thinking about them. So let me give you three ways that you can change your attitude. Three ways I can change my attitude about you. Number one, I can pray for you. I can pray for you. Not pray in some passive-aggressive, gangster, sarcastic, sassy prayer. Well, God, I just, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. No, like, like really pray. God, I pray for their marriage. I pray for their children. If you've got another mom in your life that, like, there's drama and conflict, begin to pray for her children. Pray for her. Pray for your boss. Pray for the success of your boss. Pray for your ex. Pray for them. It's really hard to stay angry at somebody that you pray for. Genuinely pray for. Pray for them. Number two, stop saying bad things about you. How can I change my attitude about you? I can stop saying bad things about you. And I think we would be blown away if we put a tape recorder around our neck and walked around for 30 days how many bad things we say about people and we don't even realize we're saying them. We kind of disguise it in concern. Hey, have you heard? Did you know? I'm just really worried. She's put on a lot of weight. You know, I'm just really worried about like, eh, it's, not exact. We're not, it's not concern as much as it is a little bit of like, I feel better about myself. And so what would happen if I asked the Holy Spirit to help me working inside of me to stop me every time I was going to open my mouth and say anything negative or anything bad? Just, just done. Not going to do it. Just catch it. Yeah, well, I know she... I'm praying for her, right? I'm just, I'm just going to stop saying bad things. Let me give you one more. Serve you. How can I change my attitude about you? Serve you. Hey, boss. I know that works over, but is there anything I could take off your plate, take off your desk, anything that I could work on this weekend while we're away? Anything that would make your life a little bit easier, job a little bit easier? Hey, I know I've got full custody, but is there something that I could do to help you in connecting and having a relationship with the children? Is I know life's crazy for you right now. Could I come over and help clean your house, cut your grass, watch your kids? Could I just come over and just like help you fold laundry while we talk? How could I serve you? It's really hard to stay angry at somebody that you're praying for, not talking bad about, and serving. So let's, let's, let's end with this. Remember at the very beginning, I said, uh, if you knew this was the last night of your life, Today, tonight was the last day and night of your life. Tomorrow it's over. What would you do? What would you do? How would you spend it? I don't know what your answers would have been. You know, got with my family or, you know, drive out to, I don't know, I don't know what you would say, right? A couple of desserts I would want to go find. But anyway, um, <laughs> Jesus was actually in that moment. John 13 tells us that he knew that his time had come. 
and that in the morning he was going to die. And on the last night of his life, you know what he did? Wash the disciples' feet. Wash the disciples' feet. I just had that thought this week. I, 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 I can't remember where I, I, I would love to give credit to who I saw type that, but I, I, I saw it, and I thought, wow, the last night of Jesus' life, he said, you know what? I'm going to wash some feet. And Paul says, man, what would happen if we had the same attitude as Christ? Like, hey, this is the last night of my life, but I come up, could I come over and help you just organize your closet? It's the last night of my life, but could I come over and serve you? Could I come over and help you? Could I come over and pray for you? That heart, that attitude. Because I can't change you, but I can change my attitude. And if I change my attitude, maybe God will begin to change the relationship. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when we had no way to know you, Jesus gave up his divine privileges, left heaven, came to this earth to die so that we could have a relationship with you. I pray we'd be encouraged by that. I pray that we would be comforted by your love, feel connected to your spirit, that you would continue to be working in us, working on our hearts, changing our hearts to help us be able to love people the way you love, see people the way you see people. And God, I just pray for all the dramatic, conflict-oriented relationships in our lives, that we would stop focusing on them and their problems and what's wrong with them, and, and we would focus on our attitude. Our attitude, God. Pray for them. Stop talking bad about them. Serve them. And see what you might do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.